Thank you so much, Honor. Good morning again, and greetings in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are gathered as the family of God, and Carol and I are glad to be with you again for just three more Sundays until the big Sunday when Pastor Rich arrives. This morning, we're coming into the second letter that Peter wrote, and it's amazing that the, there are just three chapters left in the letter, and there are three Sundays left. So let's do this this morning. Let's turn our hearts to God's Word and ask Him to speak to us from 2 Peter. And in this second letter of Peter, I want you to be particularly aware of four words, four words that are vital to your Christian experience if you've been born again. And the words are gifts, growth, goal, and guarantee. Let's have a look at that. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His, that is God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, through his glory and goodness, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them, through those promises, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly or sisterly kindness, and to brotherly or sisterly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he or she is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he or she has been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and implied sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election, sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, says Peter, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because you know, and I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Now Peter gives a testimony. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain. You'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Oh, may God bless to our hearts His precious word. Anointed, inspired for the Christians in those days, and preserved for your heart today by the Holy Spirit. I said that in this passage, there are four important concepts. There are more than four, but we only have time this morning to deal with four of them. Here they are. Gifts, growth, goal, and guarantee. Gifts. Gifts that you, believer, were given when you were born again. The moment you were born again, God imparted to you some very, very important gifts. Peter refers to four of them in this passage. The first gift he refers to is the gift of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is a vital part of the born-again process. See, God gives to every person just enough faith to receive the gift he offers. He says to the church, I'm writing to you people because you have received through the righteousness of God a faith that is as precious as our faith. Peter understands that. When we're born again, we're part of this wonderful family of God and we've all been given this gift of faith. Enough faith to believe. The Wesleys used to call it saving faith. Enough faith to believe that God has loved you enough and given His Son that you may be born again. And as you respond to that message, as God brings it to your heart, faith brings you to the place of believing God's promise. Secondly, when you received faith and were born again, the Holy Spirit came to live inside your heart. You see, no longer were you empty in the deepest part of you. When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of you. And with him came power. Jesus made this promise. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The day you were born again, Christian, power came upon you. And Peter talks about that power. He says that we have received power for everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of God who called us into his goodness. Christian, that song is right. Devil, not today. Why not? Because I have received the power of God for everything I need for life and goodness. 
Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let him tell you you're puny, that you're useless, that you can never please God, that you can never rise to the standard God has in mind for you. Tell the devil he's a liar. Tell him this verse. Tell him that God has given us divine power for everything we need for life and goodness through our knowledge of him, God, who called us. Oh, what a great verse that is. You've received faith when you were born again, and you received divine power. Now, if that's not enough, God has lavished something on top of all of that. He has given us precious promises. When God gave you His Holy Spirit, He added to you some promises. Promises from this dear book. Promises that God intends to keep in your life. When you read the promises of this book... They've got your name on them too. Don't you for one moment believe that God's promises are for every other saint and not you. You're included. When you were born again, God gave you precious promises. I love this verse. It says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. These promises, we're going to see in a little moment, these promises are aimed at something very particular as a goal in your life. We'll get to that a little later. But there's one more thing that he reminds them of a little later on in his verse. He says, not only did we receive faith, not only did we receive divine power, not only has God given us great promises, but he has cleansed us from our past sins. Every time the devil reminds you of the stuff you did in the past, do me a favor. You remind him of stuff waiting for him in his future. You have been cleansed from your past sins. When you get to heaven, if you ever get the chance to say to God, do you remember that time that I sinned? God said, no, I don't remember it. How can you not remember it? You're God. You know everything. My child, one of my promises is, I've taken your sins and I've cast them behind my back. I've put your sins into the sea of forgiveness and forgetfulness and I put up a sign that said no fishing. Your sins are forgiven and forgotten in heaven. You have been cleansed from your past sins. These are the gifts you've been given as a believer. Now in the light of all of that, God's looking for you to grow. Not only is there gifts you were given, but there is a growth that you must grasp as a believer. You can't stay the same old way you were when you were first born again. I have a painful memory in my past. It's a memory of a dear friend of mine who had a son whose mind remained, remained the, the mind of a baby. The boy grew up. But in his mind, he remained a baby. And my memories are of my friend who has now passed on to be with the Lord, carrying this little boy. In every other respect, a toddler, healthy, but in his mind, a baby. There is one thing even more sad than that. It is a born-again believer who stays a baby Christian. There is a growth you must grasp. And Peter's talking about it right here. He says... You must make every effort to add to your faith goodness. 
Don't just be reliant on that saving faith. There's a growth in goodness that God wants for you. And then he goes on to add a whole lot of other stuff to that. He says, keep on growing in Jesus. Add to goodness knowledge. Add to knowledge self-control. To self-control perseverance. Perseverance godliness. To godliness brotherly, sisterly kindness. To this kindness love for each other. God wants you to grow as a Christian. He doesn't want you to stay a baby Christian. He's given you all these gifts that you may grasp the opportunity to grow. Take this list seriously. I know it's challenging. I know that there are areas that I still struggle with in all these years of being a Christian, but there needs to be a desire to grow, a desire to grow to be more like Jesus. Four words that Peter's talking to us about. Can you say them with me? Gifts, growth, goal, guarantee. Come on, let's say them again. Gifts, growth, goal, guarantee. It's right here, and it's all part of being born again. There is a goal that you must go towards. Paul once said, forgetting what's gone by, I'm pressing on towards the goal of the heavenly calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a sense that as you grow as a Christian, you don't lose sight of the ultimate goal. I once heard a preacher talk about a colleague who said, having lost sight of his goals, the man decided to redouble his efforts. Incredibly frustrating, isn't that? I lost sight of my goals, so I tried harder. Why? If you don't know where you're headed, what's the point of trying harder? Now, my sport is marathon running, or used to be. <laughs> I think I've outgrown that foolishness by now. After 65 marathons, I decided to quit. I decided marathon running was too hard. Yeah, I did say 65. I'm a slow learner. But one thing I realized is that if you lose sight of the goal, the present suffering becomes meaningless. When you lose sight of where you're headed, the route you're taking loses its attraction. When you're running a marathon, the important part is the finish line. And when you get there, you'll know why. There's a goal that you must be going towards. Now, Peter talks about that goal right here. He says, that our goal is that we are to participate in the divine nature. What a turn of phrase that is. The goal of your Christian faith is to participate in the divine nature. Now, how does that work in practice? Because the divine nature lived in Jesus. None of us are born with a divine nature. We're born in sin, the Bible says. We're born in the slavery of selfishness. The redeemed and the, the born-again experience is to set you free from that old slavery to selfishness. But it's more than that. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, He brings the divine nature of Jesus to live inside you. This is what born-again means. That you have opened your life and said, Holy Spirit, Come live inside me. Come bring the divine nature of Jesus to come and live inside me. 
I've been a Christian only a short time when someone taught me to sing, Oh, thou spirit divine, all my nature refine until the goodness and glory of Jesus can be seen in me. These wonderful promises were given so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you get it? Do you get the miracle of this? God wants to bring the nature of Jesus in greater and greater measure inside you. You become an ambassador of the Lord Jesus in the family in which you live, in the neighborhood where you live, in the, the job that you hold down. You become a representative of Jesus, not by being better and better at being you, but by being more and more open to letting Jesus live his life through you. God wants you to participate in the divine nature. Talk about a goal for life. What do you want to do when you leave school? Oh, I, I would like to be a lawyer. What do you want to do when you leave school? Oh, I, I'd like to be an airplane pilot. How about you? Oh, I, I wouldn't mind being a doctor. All of those, as wonderful as they may be in themselves, are meaningless goals compared to this one. I want to participate in the divine nature. Can there be any greater goal for the human soul who has been set free from their past sins, who's been given faith to believe, who's been given God's precious promises? Can there be any greater reason to be alive than for you to participate in the divine nature? And Peter's saying to us through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it can happen to you and should happen to you. When you take all God's precious promises and you start standing on them, there comes a power by the Holy Spirit to make that happen to you. Hmm. But there's also one more. Not only do you get to participate in the divine nature right here, but Peter says, there's going to be a rich welcome for you in the eternal kingdom. Do you get it? You're just passing through here. Do you understand? This is a short journey. Some of you are only like, what, 14, 16 years old? And you're thinking, Phew, man. 60 is such a long way away. <laughs> Some of you have gotten to 60 and you realized it went by real quick. And that's okay. Because you see, awaiting you is a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. I was at a pastor's conference in Kansas City in the year 2000. Dr. James Dobson was speaking to us. And at one point, he talked about ambition in this life. He talked about 
wanting to do something with your life and to, to, to get somewhere. And James Dobson, with those big 1970s eyeglasses he wore in those days, tears running down his cheeks, he said, there are some words. There are some words. Oh, how I want to hear those words. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. There is a goal that you must go towards. The immediate goal, participation in the divine nature. But the end goal is eternity with Jesus. Has he not promised? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many abiding places. We call them mansions from the old English. <laughs> Pass some mansions on the way up here. We're not talking about big houses. Talking about an abiding place. And Jesus said, I am going to the Father to do what? To prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. There is a goal to press towards, and that goal is a rich welcome at the end of the journey. I spoke to you a few moments ago about the goal of, of marathon running to reach the finish line. In every marathon runner, there's a sense of tremendous relief when you finally get to sit down after 26 or 56 or however miles long the thing happens to be that day. But it's nothing compared to the soul's relief when one day your eyes shall see the city of God. For some of you, that may be this year still. For some of you, it may be very soon. You know what? While the earthly part of us might be sad to say goodbye to you, there's a part of us that will envy you. You will have reached the eternal goal. You will have reached that to which God has called you. I said there were four words. What were they again? Gifts, growth, goal, and guarantee. Peter on what basis do you write these words to us? Peter, you claim that the Holy Spirit was moving you to write these words, and many of us have believed it, but can you give us some kind of guarantee of what this is all about? Peter, tell us something from your life that guarantees that what you're telling us in these words is believable and we can build our lives on it. Let's talk about a guarantee that you rest upon. Hmm. Now, Peter's very aware that his time is coming to an end. He says, I I'm going to remind you of these things. Just like when I was with you and told you over and over about being born again, told you over and over again about the, 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 the Christian life, I want to remind you of what I told you because I know the time is coming when I will move out of this tent. Now, that's an interesting way to describe your body, a tent. Do you know that a hundred years from now you won't have to shave that face, Mr. Gentleman? Lady, you won't have to perm that hair after a hundred years from now? Do you understand that all the care you've taken over this physical tent is going to come to an end? 
And when the tent is folded up and put away, you'll still be moving on. By the way, can I see the hands of anybody who vacations in a tent or has done it? Has anybody vacationed in a tent? I am so not a tent person. <laughs> you know? <laughs> For me, the greatest moment is the folding up and the putting away of the stupid thing. Let's go back to real life. You probably aren't like that. There will come a moment when this earthly tent in which you dwell is going to be folded up and put away. And you will go on. Peter talks about that. But now he gets to the guarantee. He says, I want to tell you about how I came to write and represent to you these things. There came a moment when Jesus, who we were following as an earthly rabbi, said to us, Peter, James, John, come with me. We're going up there on the mountain. What? Come. Leave the other guys, we're going. And up, and up, and up they climbed. I think it was Mount Hermon in the north of Israel, but I, I can't be sure of that. I say it because up there it's always snow-covered and it's glistening white. But the point of the story is Peter's saying there was a mountain, and three of us went with Jesus up there onto the mountain. And on that day, as we stood there with him, Two amazing things happened right there on the mountain. Number one, his face started to change. It started to glisten and glow with that eternal type glory. And we were like, ew, ew. Then the next thing, in that glistening light, two figures appeared. Moses and Elijah came back and began to talk to Jesus about what he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem very soon after. And we were like looking at this and saying, whoa, this is so cool. Look, he's like glowing with heaven and there's Moses. I, Peter, got a brilliant idea. Let's build some little shelters here and we can sell tickets. And we can make it a tourist attraction. This is like incredible. Just imagine how this would be if people could come streaming up here and see what we're seeing now. And he was going on like this when God interrupted him. It's something when God interrupts you. Peter's still talking like this when the booming voice that echoed through the crags of the mountain said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Peter, shut up and listen to him. Some of it I added in there. I think Peter got the message though. I mean, he just crumpled right down as the other two did. And they bowed down in extreme worship. This, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Peter, James, John, Every disciple, listen to him. Peter's saying that what we wrote to you comes with this guarantee, disciple, guaranteed. We heard 
the voice of Almighty God saying, Jesus is his son. Christianity isn't just one of the religions in this respect. You get it. It is God reaching down to man through Jesus. This is big stuff. Your faith rests on this guarantee that God, like that song we just sang, took flesh, came from the throne of heaven into a cradle in Bethlehem, was born human to live among us, to die a sacrificial death, the innocent for the guilty. This is my son. Listen to him. Your faith is based on the guarantee that Jesus of Nazareth, says Peter, was attested to by the heavenly father whose voice they heard up on that mountain. Gifts, growth, a goal, and a guarantee. But for good measure, Peter throws in one more layer in the guarantee. He talks to them about the scriptures. He says to them, I want you to know that we have had the word of the prophets made more certain. You know, it's an amazing thing when you really begin to study the Old Testament prophets, how many of them spoke of Jesus. Over and over you start to see it when you study it. They were speaking of a coming one. One that Jeremiah called the righteous branch. One of whom Isaiah said, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. The government will be upon his shoulder. The prophets spoke of what was coming. And Peter says, this too is part of the guarantee. You see, Peter's saying that prophecy didn't come by the will of people. The prophets didn't just suck something out of their thumb and say, mm, what can I write about? Peter says that the prophets were carried along like, like moved by the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a fairly poor neighborhood. But when it rained, the little boys of that neighborhood had a game they played. It was called boat racing. Boat racing? I thought you grew up poor. Well, uh, there weren't any actual boats. There were pieces of twigs that we threw into the gutter as the water rushed down the gutter. And whoever's twig reached the drain first was the winner. That's the picture I get about the Holy Spirit carried along these prophets. They were moved by the Holy Spirit as they wrote about the coming Messiah. You have the voice of Almighty God on the mountainside, says Peter, and you have the word of the prophets. That's what you've got. Christian, are you taking this seriously this morning? Are you? Are you taking seriously that he has given you these wonderful gifts, called you to growth, 
placed a goal before you, and now guarantees it all. Oh, I hope you are. What's Peter said to us in this first chapter? Gifts. Can you say it? Gifts. Growth. Goals. Guarantees. That's you. Write your name on this first chapter of Second Peter. God's with you in it. It's time to close. I guess I was taught at Bible college that the mind can only take in what the seed can endure. But I hope your heart is thrilled by what God's saying in His Word. I hope your heart is moved. I'd like to make an opportunity available to you, perhaps next Sunday, or it could even be this Sunday too, if, if Chandra can make it happen. If some of you need some specific prayer or counseling, then between the services, we have, what, something like an hour or so to do it. I'd be willing to meet with you, to talk to you about the things of God's Word. Let's stand for prayer as we close, shall we? Gracious Father, we take our place this morning among the millions of Christians, those who've died already, those who are still living all over the world, who have received a faith as precious as ours. Thank you, Lord, that we move among them. This wonderful gift of faith you have given for us to believe you. Father, we as your children, as we participate in the divine nature and have had the past cleansed, we want, oh how we want, to grow in our Christian life. To add to and add to and add to and add to. So that the world may see that you're doing something in our lives. Father, thank you for living with a goal in mind. That we're moving somewhere through this world to what you have in mind for us eternally. And lastly, Lord, how we bless you for the guarantee you've given, both in your Son and in the Scriptures. How we stand upon a firm foundation. Lord, I pray that for every believer here today, grace and peace and strength may be given to live out the power of this message in the world to which you call them and appoint them. Father, go with us as we leave this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.